This episode discusses domestic violence. Listener discretion is advised. When the Facebook notification appeared on Alice's phone, she was flattered. She is the most naturally beautiful woman I have ever seen, the comment read. The photo was of Alice on holiday in Sri Lanka and had been posted by a friend she had gone on the trip with. Alice clicked on the profile to find it was sent by a mutual friend. The man's name was Harry Dillon. He was physically fit with dark hair and dark eyes. It was clear from his photos that he took pride in his appearance. Alice decided to drop him a message and introduce herself. If she had known of the horrors that would follow, she never would have pressed send. I'm your host, Natalie, and this is Talk Murder With Me, Episode 21, The Murder of Alice Ruggles. Outgoing, witty, and kind are just a few ways Alice's friends and family would describe her. She had a way of putting others at ease, laughing and joking with them. She made people she had just met feel as though they had known each other for years. Alice Ruggles was born on December 24, 1991, to Sue Hills and Clive Ruggles. She had two older siblings, Nick and Emma, and a younger brother, Patrick. The family were close, and even as the children grew up and moved away from home, they stayed in regular contact. Alice and her siblings were raised in Leicestershire, in the small village of Tur Langton. In high school, Alice immersed herself in the drama department, performing in a number of plays. In 2010, she started at Northumbria University, about 200 miles north of her family home. She graduated in 2014 and soon got a job at the UK broadcasting company Sky. For her job, she had to relocate to Newcastle, a city in the north of England. She moved into a flat in Gateshead, a large town located on the opposite side of the River Tyne from Newcastle. She prospered at work and quickly grew to love life in her new home. Trim and Dylan, who started going by Harry when he moved to the UK, was originally from India. He was an only child, raised in a devout Sikh household. The family moved often due to Harry's father's career in the military. When Harry graduated from high school, he went to university to pursue a degree in strategy management. As a part of the degree program, students were given the option to study abroad at Queen Margaret University in Edinburgh, Scotland. Keen to experience a different way of life away from India and for some time away from his deeply religious parents, Harry jumped at the opportunity to study abroad. While in Edinburgh, Harry particularly enjoyed the social scene. Free from the watchful eyes of his parents, he went out drinking regularly and would often go home with different women. It was the sort of behavior his parents never would have approved of, but being so far away from home, he wasn't concerned about them finding out. On graduating, Harry enlisted in the British Army after meeting representatives who were on a recruitment visit at Queen Margaret University. While in the army, Harry rose to the rank of Lance Corporal. His first tour of duty was in Afghanistan, where he served in a non-combat role. While stationed in Afghanistan, 
Harry regularly used Facebook to keep up with friends and family in India and Scotland. One day in October 2015, he was scrolling through a friend's photos when he came across a picture of a young woman who immediately caught his eye. Harry commented on the photo, saying how beautiful he thought she was. It wasn't long before he received the message from Alice introducing herself. The two began messaging back and forth and then video chatting several times a week. Harry came across as sweet and charming online and Alice fell for him quickly. When Harry returned to the UK from Afghanistan, the two met in person for the first time. They spent a week together in Newcastle and then another in Edinburgh. Harry then returned to Afghanistan for his final tour of duty. Not long after Harry came back to the UK in April, those close to Alice began noticing changes in her. She was usually so animated and engaged, but she was becoming increasingly distant and withdrawn. She stopped wearing makeup and lost a lot of weight in a short period of time. She no longer went out with her friends and was arguing a lot with her housemates. As a result, she moved out and went to live with her co-worker, Maxine McGill. As it turned out, Harry was far from the kind and thoughtful man Alice had met online. In reality, he was possessive and jealous. He wanted total control over every aspect of Alice's life, from who she spent time with to how she looked. He would go through her text messages and social media. Every time she spoke to another man, he accused her of flirting. The whole time Harry was attempting to control Alice, he was using dating apps to hook up with other women for casual sex. It's not as though he made any effort to hide these other women from Alice either. In fact, he hoped that she would find out about them, because he wanted to make her jealous. In late July or early August 2016, a woman Harry had been talking to on a dating site contacted Alice. It was then that she decided that enough was enough, and she dumped Harry. Getting Harry Dillon out of her life, however, would prove impossible. The harder Alice tried to push Harry away and move on, the more he harassed her. In the weeks following the breakup, Harry called, texted, and emailed Alice constantly. Sometimes, he would plead with her to take him back, telling her how much he loved her and that he would change. Other times, he was manipulative, trying to guilt her into getting back together with him, sobbing that he would kill himself and it would be her fault. Then there were the threatening messages, in which he told her he had intimate photos of her that he had taken without her knowledge. He told her that if she did not get back together with him, he would post them online. At first, Alice tried to let him down easy, but she quickly realized this wasn't going to work, so she began ignoring him. Enraged at this, Harry began calling Alice's family and friends, begging them to try and get her to talk to him. Knowing that Harry was nothing but bad news, they told him to leave Alice alone. Alice began receiving letters from Harry, in which he wrote poems about how much he loved her and needed her. As time passed, the letters became increasingly sinister in tone. Instead of poems, he would write things like, quote, I am going to make you my wife. In early September, he found out through Alice's Facebook that she had started dating an army officer named Mike. Harry sent messages directly to Mike, in which he wrote that Alice was cheating on him and telling him, meaning Harry, that she still loved him. 
Mike knew about Harry and what he had been putting Alice through, so he didn't take any of what he said seriously. Alice and Mike met while Alice was visiting her sister Emma in Germany. The two hit it off right away. According to Alice's flatmate, Maxine, Mike made her very happy. She had a great couple of days with her sister and Mike. They got on like a house on fire, and she said the banter between them was unreal. As Alice and Mike grew closer, Harry continued to stew in his jealousy. On Friday, September 30th, it became clear to Alice just how unhinged Harry had become. That afternoon, he left a voicemail on Alice's phone, pleading with her to call him back. When she didn't call, he drove two and a half hours from his barracks in Edinburgh to Alice's flat in Gateshead. Once he arrived, he rang the doorbell several times and then hid. A few hours later, he climbed over the fence into the backyard and knocked on Alice's bedroom window. Terrified, Alice peeked around the curtain. On her windowsill was a box of chocolates and a bouquet of flowers. When she looked up, she caught a glimpse of Harry backing away from the window with his hands in the air. The following is the voicemail Harry left Alice after leaving her flat. After we spoke and we didn't want to speak, well, he didn't want to call me again, so I, that's why I decided to come down to give you flowers and chocolates. Now I'm on my way back. If you want to take it, you can take it. If you want to bin it, you can bin it. It's completely up to you. I just wanted to do something just to say I'm sorry and, and show that I really am sorry. And yeah, that's the least I could have done. I know you're not going to come out in front of me and speak to me, so that's why I left it there. If you want to speak to me, it'll be good. If you don't, there's nothing I can do. Anyways, sorry for waking you up. Hope you have a good night's sleep. Bye. So basically, he realized she didn't want to talk to him on the phone, so he decided to drive to her flat instead to tell her he was sorry. He then left Alice another more ominous voicemail, which I couldn't find a recording for, but it's described in a police conduct report that would come out later. In the voicemail, he says, quote, You said guys like me end up killing people. He added that he brought the flowers and chocolates to, quote, prove that he did not want to kill her. The incident frightened Alice enough that she called the police. Up to that point, she had been putting it off, trying to play everything down in her head. But this time Harry had gone too far. She called 101, the number used in the UK for non-emergencies. Hi there, um, I just need a bit of advice really, um, more than anything. Um, so I split up with my boyfriend about three months ago. Um, since then, I... I know that he's hacked into my Facebook and also my phone. Um, he's been sending me a lot of messages, even though I've asked him not to contact me. And um, basic, basically, like just messaging my friends and things. Um, and then tonight, he's um, well. I had a knock at my door, and well, he he sent me a message saying I've been in the garden since five. I had a knock at my door. Um, and then when I went and looked, I've got like a little, you know, the thing that you can look through, um, and there was no one there. And then it happened again, um, two or three times. 
and then um, he's come round the back, knocked on my bedroom window at the back of my flat, ground floor flat. Um, and he's been outside and he, he's like left um, some flowers and chocolates on the like outside window sill, and like he walked off. He's not done anything, but I'm just I'm concerned. I've been putting off like my friends have been telling me to call the police. I've been putting that off, but it, I just feel a bit like shaken up tonight. So well, it's, it's it can be. Past as harassment. Yeah. Which is a crime. Yeah. If you do any contact from them, there's a number of things you can do. Yeah. You could go to a solicitor and take out an injunction. Yeah. Keep them away from you. Yeah. Or report it directly at least now, and we can issue them with a pin notice, which means if he ever comes near you again or contacts again, he'll be arrested. Okay. So, which would you prefer? Can I, um, Try that option, please. Yeah, of course you can. I'll mm-hmm. your name, please. Oh, sorry, um, it's Alice. Uh, what's he called? Well, his name's Harry Dillon, um, but he's he's got like a a seat name, which is Truman. Um, he lives in Edinburgh, and then. Um, ah, he lives in Edinburgh. Yeah, so he's like driven down. So he's constantly contacting you by 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 phone or text or. Yeah, um, well, I've blocked his number. We've got two phones. I've blocked both numbers. Um, so he's been sending me Gmail messages. I haven't blocked him off Gmail because I don't want him to start emailing my work email. Then he's also made a fake Snapchat account to try and contact me on. I want me to get the Edinburgh Police to go and serve him with a pin orders. Okay. Well, what I'm going to do, um, I'm going to see if we can meet an appointment to come and see you. Yeah. In the morning. Yeah. And we'll get the Thank you. On this call, she was given two choices. Number one, she could hire a solicitor and take out an injunction against Harry. Number two, Harry could be issued with a police information notice, or a PIN for short. This would mean that if he came near her or contacted her again, he would be arrested. As you heard in the recording, Alice opted for the pin option. The following day, a police officer came to see Alice. They took a statement from her and reassured her that she was not wasting their time. The officer told her to call right away if Harry made another attempt to contact her. Alice was extremely relieved. For the first time in months, she felt like she could relax. However, the pin was not the solution Alice was led to believe it was. In fact, it would do little beyond notifying Harry that she had contacted the police. Importantly, pins are not covered by legislation and don't constitute any kind of formal legal action. An officer from the Northumbria police called Harry's barracks in Edinburgh, asking to speak to his superior. They were told that Harry was being issued with a police information notice at the request of Alice Ruggles, meaning that he should no longer try to contact her. I found it strange that the police officer didn't ask to speak to Harry directly, instead asking that his superior notify him. Also important to note, the Northumbria police did not tell the military police or Police Scotland that Harry had been issued with a pin. Harry was told by his superiors, his friends, and even his doctor to stop contacting Alice. Unsurprisingly, Harry ignored all of them. Right away, he began putting together a package to send Alice, which consisted of notebooks, photos, and a letter. 
In the letter, he was bitter and childish, complaining about how she had gone to the police about him. He finished the letter by writing, I'm in a lot of shit right now, but I hope you feel happy. I'm sending you everything I have that reminds me of you, as you belong to another man. Wishing you two a happy life. I will never come into your life again. Alice had been told by the police to call them if Harry contacted her again. So, on October 7th, when she received the package, that's what she did. Good evening, Northumbria. Please, Jeff, speaking. How can I help? Hi there. Um, yeah, I, I've been in touch with the police. Um, um, uh, the, the, somebody's been issued with a pen so that they, they can't contact me. However, I've had a, had a letter off them. So you're uh, reporting like, the breach of the, the pen? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who is it from? Um, Harry Dillon. Uh, what was the content of the letter? Was he? So pictures of me and him, um, like because uh, he's my ex-boyfriend too, like a, a notebook that I sent him when we were together, and a letter. Okay, uh, and uh, so what was the what was the nature of it? Was it like threatening, or was it harassing? Or... No, um, not threatening. It just it's just saying um, that he, he knows I called the police on him, and he's had everything confiscated, and. All he has to himself is a pen and paper and an iPod and explaining why he came down last Friday. Um, and then um, it says at the bottom he won't contact, you know, this will be the last I hear from him. But he's, he's said that a lot of times and he, he never does seem to stop. So, so you want to call back to discuss this? Yeah, What what what's usually what happens with it? Okay, well, I'll, I'll, let, I'll, I'll let him know you want to, someone to contact you back, just uh, discuss what can be done. Okay. Will it be the, the police officer that's been dealing with my case? Uh, I can't guarantee who it'll be. Um, I'll let, well, I mean, I'll let him know you've, you've got your pen notice there, so it's going to be a breach of it. Um, okay. Is the best time to phone you back? Um, any, any time, really, will be fine. Rather than focus on the fact Harry had violated the pin by contacting her, the operator was preoccupied with what he had written in the letter. Alice explained that although Harry had written in his letter that he would not contact her again, he had said this numerous times before. He was incapable of leaving her alone. The operator told Alice that he would have someone call her back to discuss what to do next. This left her feeling exasperated. It felt as though they weren't grasping how afraid she really was, despite telling them how severe Harry's stalking had become. Alice's flatmate, Maxine, would later say of this call, She was asked the question, What do you want us to do about it? She said, I don't know. That's why I'm calling, because I was told if anything further happened, I was to get in touch. She said it was basically a waste of time. Alice did receive a call from another officer later that day to discuss the next course of action. On this call, she was asked if she would like Harry arrested. What kind of police officer asks a victim if she'd like to have her stalker ex-boyfriend arrested? She'd played down Harry's behavior for so long, and she'd waited months before going to the police. How could they think that she was capable of making that decision? Not wanting to seem like she was overreacting, Alice told them no, she didn't want him arrested. Alice's mother, Sue, would later say, When the second call happened, she was just devastated. 
She felt like she was on her own, that she had to deal with it herself. By Wednesday, October 12th, it had been five days since the useless phone calls with the police. While Alice was still deeply concerned about Harry, she was doing her best to distract herself, thinking about her plans for the weekend. Mike was coming from Germany to see her, which would be a much-needed distraction from all that had been going on. Alice got home from work and went to her room. In between texting Mike, she began going through her closet, contemplating what she would wear to go out that weekend. Little did she know that as she busied herself in her bedroom, Harry was in her backyard. And this was not even the first time that week he had been there without Alice's knowledge. Two days before, on the evening of October 10th, he had been there taking photos of the backyard and windows, plotting how he would break in in a couple days' time. Neither Alice nor Maxine had any idea he had been there. This time, however, Harry was not there to take photos. Once he was in the yard, he spotted an open window, which he was easily able to climb through. The exact chain of events that unfolded are not totally clear, but it all happened very fast. He cornered Alice in the bathroom, holding a knife he had taken from the kitchen. The jury in the later murder trial would hear that Harry, who at six foot one was nearly a foot taller than Alice, knelt on her back, held her head up, and slashed her neck six times, severing her spinal cord. Alice suffered 24 injuries, including defensive wounds on her hands and bruising to her chest from being knelt on. Harry, on the other hand, suffered zero injuries. When Maxine got home from work, she found that the front door was locked. She realized that she didn't have her key, so she climbed over the fence and called for Alice to let her in. But there was no reply. Relieved, she saw the open window and climbed through. Once inside, Maxine went to the bathroom, where she was greeted by a truly horrific sight. Alice was lying there, completely still. There was blood everywhere. It was clear to Maxine that she was dead. The source of the blood was a deep gash across her neck. Maxine called 999. The following is a portion of her call. Please, I've just, I've just come back to my flat and the door was locked, so I crawled through the window and my flatmate's covered in blood in the bathroom. Is she breathing? I don't know. I can't, I can't look. I'm sorry. Okay, try, try and stay calm. Alice! 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 Oh my god, she's dead! She's dead! And yet the door was open? No, it wasn't open. It was locked and I crawled through my window that was open in the back door and she's lying covered in blood. She's, she's blue. Can you have a look and see if she's breathing for the ambulance? She's not. She's not. She's not breathing? No, she looks. No. Where's the blood from? It's everywhere. I don't know. Her leg looks broken. Everything. Say that again, sorry. Her leg looks broken, everything that I don't know. Alice! Alice! How much blood is there? There's lots, it's everywhere, it's everywhere. She was, it looks like she was in the shower. She's, everything's been knocked over, it looks like she's been attacked. Please help. Uh, things have been tipped over in the bathroom. Yes, and everything looks a mess, like she's not breathing, she's actually blue, please. I mean, you this is coming, I, 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 I
Say that again, sorry. She put on a complaint in about her ex and she thought 101 at the weekend to report that she started in contact and she says we're going to do nothing now this has happened. Right, who, who tried to contact her at the weekend? No, she's contacted 101 because she put in a statement about him two weeks ago. And about who? Her ex-boyfriend, Harry Dillon. Right, so have they, she been having problems with her ex? Yes. So do you think this, that's what it is? Yeah, I can hear the police are coming. Yeah, they're saying they're seen. I'll wait with you until they're actually with you. Okay, you're okay. doing really well. You're doing really well. When the paramedics arrived, Maxine's worst fears were confirmed. Alice was pronounced dead at the scene. Harry was arrested in a matter of hours back at his barracks in Edinburgh. He had the audacity to tell the arresting officers that he had no knowledge of Alice's death, but the evidence against him was overwhelming. As it turned out, Harry had been sitting in his car outside of Alice's flat, waiting for her to come home from work. As he sat there, he was messaging a girl on Tinder, arranging to meet that evening. Alice was killed between 6.04pm when she sent her last text to Mike, and 6.30pm when Maxine found her body. Harry then fled back to Edinburgh with Alice's phone and the knife. At some point, he got rid of the knife, but it's unclear where exactly. It wasn't difficult for detectives to come to the conclusion that Harry was guilty of killing Alice. For one, his phone signal put him in Gateshead at the time of the murder. They also discovered Alice's blood on his steering wheel. Early on Thursday, October 13th, Harry was taken into custody. The following day, he was charged with murder. At his trial, Harry took the stand for two days. During his testimony, he made up a fantastical story about how Alice attacked him with the knife, and they ended up struggling. She accidentally stabbed herself in the neck as he was trying to pry the knife away from her, he said. The account Harry gave was ridiculous, and the jury saw right through it. After deliberating for less than two hours, the jury found him guilty of murder. At his sentencing, Judge Paul Sloan said, Not a shred of remorse have you shown from first to last. Indeed, you were concentrating so hard on getting your story right when giving evidence, you forgot even to shed a crocodile tear. The judge called the murder an act of utter barbarism. In April 2017, Harry was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 22 years. Alice's parents, later discussing what went wrong in the handling of their daughter's case, said, We believe that her death was preventable. We find it difficult to comprehend that the police and the army were unable to support and protect her, even though she described in her first phone call to the police that she was being stalked and provided ample evidence. A major failure I haven't really talked about yet was on the part of the army. During Harry's trial, it came out that the army did not record that he had been charged with assault while serving in late 2012. I'm not sure what the protocol is when it comes to individuals who commit criminal offenses while serving in the armed forces. In this case, it doesn't seem as though Harry's assault charge was taken seriously at all. In the fall of 2012, Harry was in a relationship with an 18-year-old student named Aniko. 
During this time, he was living in army barracks in Kent. As he would later with Alice, he became obsessed with controlling Aniko's every move. She repeatedly tried to break up with him, but it was two years before she really managed to get him out of her life. When Harry realized she had started seeing someone new, he began stalking her. One day, he came up to Aniko and her new boyfriend in the street and began hurling insults at them. Is this who you're sleeping with? I cannot believe you would leave me for this. Why did you take my girlfriend away? Harry fumed. When she told Harry she would call the police, he spat in her face and called her a bitch. He ended up being charged with assault, but the charge was dropped when Aniko agreed to accept a restraining order against him instead. Alice's sister Emma, a soldier in the armed forces herself, expressed her deep frustration with the army's lack of response to her sister's murder. She was baffled by the army's failure to even record that Harry had a restraining order against him, especially since he'd been serving at the time it was issued. Similar situations need to be taken far more seriously in the future by both the police and the army. Failure to do so would show a blatant lack of regard for my sister, the nightmare she lived in her last few months, and the sustained, painful, violent last few minutes of her life, Emma said. The Gateshead Community Safety Board carried out a domestic homicide review, which was completed in December 2018. The review concluded that Alice had been subjected to significant stalking, and that Harry's obsessive behavior had been overlooked. In the report, it was recognized that there was, quote, a lack of clarity about the roles and responsibilities of the Home Office, the police, and the armed forces, which led to some confusion about how best to deal with the perpetrator. The review made 20 recommendations. Amongst these were, the Ministry of Defense should implement routine, meaningful, and accessible recordings of all domestic abuse allegations that are made against service personnel. Another recommendation was that it should be made a criminal offense to threaten to release intimate photos of an ex-partner. Alice's family wrote in a statement after her murder, Alice died in tragic circumstances, and it's important to us that her story is not forgotten. It's equally important that failings are acknowledged, lessons learned, and improvements are made, so that if similar situations arise in the future, they may have better outcomes. They established the Alice Ruggles Trust, with the question in mind, if another Alice presented herself to the police today, would the outcome be any different? The Trust has been working to support police forces in implementing procedural changes and helping update training for frontline officers to bring about improvements in dealing with stalking and harassment. One notable change is that police information notices are no longer used in cases like Alice's. Assistant Chief Constable of the Northumbria Police, Rachel Bacon, said regarding the improvements Northumbria Police have been working towards, the onus for making an arrest should never be placed on a victim. I'm absolutely committed to ensuring we have a victim-focused culture embedded across Northumbria Police. With regards to the Army, Alice's parents said, we hope that the army will now realize that they have an important part to play when one of their soldiers is accused of criminal behavior against a civilian and, like other agencies, will proceed to learn lessons from Alice's case. In the UK, stalking did not become an offense on its own until 2012. Before that, it was under the umbrella of harassment-related offenses. 
The Stalking Protection Act became law in 2019 with the purpose of, quote, creating a new civil stalking protection order to protect members of the public from risks associated with stalking. Alice's funeral was held on November 7, 2016, at St. Andrew's Church in Turlangton, Leicestershire. A statement put out by her family read in part, We're struggling to come to terms with the fact that she's not with us anymore. She loved life, loved her friends, and loved her job. She had so much to live for. Nothing can ever replace her. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, everyone, and I'm sorry it took so long for me to get it out. If you like the show, please give me a 5-star rating and review on iTunes or Spotify, and subscribe wherever you're listening now. If you'd like to take your support further, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com talkmurder. The links to my social media accounts are in the show notes for this episode. You can follow me on Instagram to see photos from each case. If you'd like to get in touch, please email me at talkmurderwithme at gmail.com. Until next time, 